We're going into the book of Matthew chapter 10, then we're going to my real text a little bit later. But Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 and 39 says this, and Jesus speaking to those around him, his disciples, and he said these words, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Every one of us this morning has been challenged, called, put before us a decision. You hear people say, well, I've come to a crossroads. To us as believers, it isn't so much a crossroads, it's a cross. We have been presented a cross to pick up and carry for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will kind of just say this would I know that I'm not really looking for answers this morning but how many of us would just like to open the discussion up and talk about the crosses that we're carrying right in this service today usually those crosses are ones that is very private usually those crosses are ones that usually doesn't hit the very forefront of conversation And really, it's only when you really listen to the heart of somebody's conversation do you really begin to pick up on some of their crosses, some of the things that you have going on. You may be here this morning and say, "Uh, well, you know, I don't have any cross, but I guarantee if you'll look around, people that are dressed nice, smiling, you know, they've had a nice 4th of July. In all of that, underneath it all, you pull it back, you'll discover that people have walked in those doors this morning carrying a cross. To list a few of them, could very well be their home. Maybe it's your partner in life. Maybe your kids are driving you absolutely crazy and they're 30 and 35 already. I used to think, boy, when they get out of the teenage years, home free. No, <laughs> It's padded walls. That's what it is. That's what it really is. It's, wow. And it could very well be your health. It's a cross to bear. Your finances. Maybe you've come into this service today and you know when somebody uses that word, you feel betrayed. You can say like Garfield in the cartoon strip. I resemble that. Could be that as you sat there this morning and smiling back at me, you're not going to find out from me this morning what I'm going through. Okay. Maybe you know what it really feels like to feel rejection. It says he came into his own and his own received him not. And all of a sudden you come to a point in your life, people that you've counted on, people you believed in, people around you on the job. You know, hey, we can form a good basis here, foundation. And lo and behold, someday, whatever that day is, aren't you glad you don't know when that day is? But anyway, that day hits and you feel that rejection. Maybe you're here with fears that is driving you absolutely crazy. Some of you may even be here today and the thought of death scares the living daylights out of you. So what do you do? How do you still worship at the hardest place there is at the foot of your cross? Well, I want us to go into the book of John because... As we look there, I always thought, and you know, I tell you what, friend, there's always something more to learn out of the Word of God. I always thought that there were only three that stood at the foot of the cross, but actually there were four. And we're going to discuss and see in their lives what it was that brought them back to 
the foot of the cross when everybody else had scattered. It's not easy. I will be very clear with you. The hardest place in your life is not when you've got a good financial base, when you've got all of your cars running good, taxes paid up, the you know, the kids aren't eating, just driving you nuts and in all of that. And, you know, hey, I'm just, I'm living the dream. That's not hard. But it's when all of a sudden you come to that place and that cross is now before you and and the Holy Ghost speaks into your life and he says, pick it up, let's go forward. Don't stay where you are, let's go. And you just kind of feel that and and yet in all of that you say, yet I'm going to praise him. Yet I'm still going to worship him. I'm still going to glorify him. See, as we look within John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and uh, his mother's sister, Mary, and Mary Magdalene, and then when Jesus therefore saw his mother, the disciple who his mother, whom he loved standing by he said to his mother woman behold your son then he said to the disciple behold your mother and from that hour on that disciple took her to his own home now before i get into my message i just want to interject something here there are new discoveries at the foot of that cross there are new events that evolve out of that that would not have happened if they would not have been there Now, before I get into some of the specifics of their lives, I want you to understand that out of your moment there at the foot of the cross, don't be surprised that God unfolds to you something good, something wonderful out of it. And it was that John found a mother that he took home with him. And some of us, we, how many, I'll just stand here and say, the times that I've run from my cross, the times that I have ignored my cross, how many blessings, how many things did God really have for me there if I'd only met him there? And so I'll just leave that with you because that's not the real crux of my message. But let's move into the text. The hardest place to worship is at the foot of the cross. Mary, his mother, connected with him. She worshiped because of a spiritual encounter with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came upon her. In the power of his glory, Mary became pregnant and had the virgin birth that brought into existence the Savior. And it's in that moment, that encounter that she had, she had a special encounter with the power of Almighty God that would forever remain in her life. She felt the presence of a child that was the Son of God moving. Women tell me, I, you know, I'll be on the tabloids if it ever happened to me. Oh, yeah, I felt that baby kick, you know. But the fact of the matter, well, some of that junk that's going on now, I'm moving away from that one. Here we go. And in all of that, we understand that, you know, the, a mom says it's, there is something about having that child carrying it full term and to feel that baby moving inside. It is spectacular. I've even heard some women say, now I can't buy into it myself. You know what I'm saying? But the fact is I do it again. I just to feel that baby move inside me. Whoa. Okay. 
And then when she's laying on the delivery table, she points her finger at the man and said, it's all your fault, so you tell me what's going on here. Anyway, um, but Mary was present at that cross because she had an, a special encounter with that one of the power of Jehovah God. The point I'm making is this. There are some of you, you're going to identify with something here. It's not going to maybe be all of them. But there are some of you in the house, you have had an encounter with Almighty God in such a way that you will never, ever forget that moment. It stands out in such an all-struck way that it's there. And you, even though the cross may be heavy, even though, as that song says, it brings bruises and bumps to you, you can't within yourself deny still worshiping and praising him at the foot of the cross because you know that you know that I, like Paul on the road to Damascus, I have had an encounter with the mighty power of God. And see, this is what's missing within the church. We need, I agree with Pastor Joe, we need a move of God in America. We need a revival like we have never seen. Why? So that young men, young women like that will know what it is to feel the hand of Almighty God come down upon them. They don't know what to do. You know, it's only hearsay. Oh, well, here, here, here goes that preacher up there. Here he comes. He's in all those good old days. I don't want them to hear the good old days anymore. I want them to have an experience that they can reflect back on 20 and 30 years down the road that still keeps them on the straight and narrow path of Jesus Christ. That tells them I will still be able to come to the foot of the cross and worship him. I will still carry my cross. Why? Because on such and such a moment, I met Jesus. I encountered the presence of Almighty God. Man, I'd like to, you got these kids out here buying booze like there is no tomorrow, drunk. God told me from Salvation Army there uh, at the Carabas here in Lancaster. He says, now the kids in Lancaster are, what, 14, 13 years old, hooked on heroin. You know, it's just, he said, it just getting, or you're getting younger and younger all the time. What I'd like to start seeing in our churches, and you can call me old fuddy-duddy, whatever, and if it offends you, we'll start doing it maybe on another night where nobody's feelings get hurt. I'd like to start seeing some of these young people have to be helped or their car so drunk in the Holy Ghost that they wouldn't even know which end is up. I'm serious. And it won't be, well, you know, well, what somebody told me. No, I, nobody had to tell me. I experienced it. Glory to God. Word of God goes on to tell us that not only was Mary the mother there, we also heard, we heard about John. John, uh, that John, put uh, John 13, 22 through 23 up there for me, if you will, sir. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he met. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. I believe really that the reason John always in his writing says the one that Jesus loved, but I really believe this. John was so close just on that one occasion, but I believe on more than one that John was able to hear the heartbeat of the Savior. He worshiped him because he knew the heart of Jesus. He knew his heartbeat. He worshiped him in service. 
He worshipped him because he was able to catch a hold of the heart of Jesus and where it was at. When Jesus showed up on the scene, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had their own idea of what a Messiah should look like. Judas Iscariot said, I will fix and make the agenda for Jesus. And that didn't work either. But John was so attentive and so sensitive, he knew what the heartbeat of Jesus was. I'm not totally there yet, but I'd like to be. To where, no matter how hard the cross may be, I can still worship you because I have a tendency in my heart. My heart beats with you, Jesus. I kind of feel I know where you're going with this. I know you in a way. See, when you know someone's heartbeat, after a while you begin to know their character, their nature, and know what, the, you know, how you can, you know, it's kind of like husbands and wives that have been married for 60 years. She could sit in the chair, and he's out in the kitchen, and she'll say, I'll tell you exactly what he's doing. It's true, isn't it? Yeah, well, he's putting his shoes on now. Yeah, you know, he's, he's going to the bath. We, we, you know, we just got it going, and, you know, and he knows her, and, you know, it's, To the point that you and I as believers, wouldn't it be wonderful we could get to that place? And when you do, your cross will be easier to bear. Because you know that every good and every perfect gift comes from the Lord. So Lord, no matter what this cross is, in the final end of it, you got it going on. You've got a purpose. You're working a plan. You're moving in a direction that I can't fully see, but I know this one thing because I know your heartbeat. Because I've been, and I've, you know, when he leaned upon him, he could feel the breath coming out of the nostrils of the son of the living God. Man, I tell you, that's a front row seat, sister. And in that moment, he was able to sense and know whenever you're that close, whenever you can know the heartbeat of the Savior, You don't have any trouble getting the answers that you need because everything begins to make sense. One of the things that's hard about carrying your cross, it sometimes doesn't make sense. But when you know the heartbeat of the Savior, you begin to say, hey, this, I don't fully understand it, but bless God, I know he's got something good. That's John. Then we know, this is, I think, where the Pentecostals get happy. It says there in that verse 25, it says in Mary Magdalene. If you go into Mark chapter 16, verse number 9, at the resurrection day of our Savior, Mark discloses and Mary Magdalene showed at the tomb and she was the one that had seven devils taken, seven demons taken out of her, cast out, delivered, set free. I don't want to go find out what that feels like. But she represents to me that she had a great testimony. She was no longer influenced by devils, but she was now influenced by Almighty God. She was able to sense and know the peace that passeth all understanding. Man, when you come, you know, if you're kind of in a gray area, you don't really get a grip on this. But man, when you come out of absolute darkness into the light, boy, don't your eyeballs have to readjust like fast. Buddy, she came out of the darkness into the light. And I'm telling you one thing, it was not something that she would easily forget. 
I want to just share this, and I'm going to. There's usually more young people here on the second service, but I want to say this to the youth uh, so strongly. I, I don't have that kind of testimony. I was raised in church all my life, knew, and I couldn't tell you how many sermons I've heard. I've been there, done that, been there, done that, and then if there was even a, a service somewhere else, I've been there and done that. I mean, it was church, church, church. I've seen more chewing gum under the pews than I could ever count in my life. Been to church. I, I can't stand up here like these men last week and say I was cracked out and, uh, you know, shooting up heroin. And to some of these young people, and, and it kind of leads me into the fourth person there, that other Mary. And it deals with that. But first, I, you know, simply because you don't have one of these out of this world, knock them out of the park kind of testimonies, that doesn't make you any less the precious, flawless child of God. I've heard people say that has been prostitute, homosexual, set free. People that have been in drugs, they say, I wish I'd have never had to journey that way. One of a strong turning point in my life was when I was a young boy. My dad pastored Bedford Valley Assembly of God. My dad and I danced in church, and it wasn't in front of the altar, right in the church with the belt swinging. <laughs> yeah, I knew about that stuff. So I, you know, I wasn't, uh, there wasn't a halo permanently implanted on my head when I walked, it was born, and so, you know, I was out in the parking lot, and there's these some of the family from uh, coming out of Baltimore. And I'll never forget, I can even see the pack of cigarettes. It was Viceroy. They don't, I don't even think they even make them silly things. Boy, I looked up at that guy and looked like a, you know, and I thought, man, is that a man? Wow, man. And he looked down at me, put that cigarette down in my face, and he said, boy, if you're smart, you'll never pick one of these up ever in your life. And it turned me around. I never did. I did before that when I was living in Romney, West Virginia. A guy came down the road on a bike, motorcycle, flicked a cigarette out there, and that's when there wasn't much disease going on, I guess. So I ran out in there, and, <laughs> and I had a mouthy sister. Mama, he just took a drag on that cigarette, son, come hither. <laughs> it's amazing how that someone can speak into your life and say, don't do something like that. Probably if my dad had told me that. But that man had no reason, no cause, and he looked at me and said, don't ever touch it. You'll be better off, and I never did. I don't have a testimony today. I, I'm not up here hacking and coughing and, <gasps> you know, I, I just, sorry, I just don't have. But this woman did. I was telling some folks that uh, we had a picnic at Tammy's house and inside. And uh, I had a board member in Hopewell that was on the board for 52 years. And um, he was a town drunk of Hopewell. He was that close to becoming a professional ball player, pitcher. They called him rookie. They didn't call him rookie in church. And uh, had a testimony, but he wouldn't share it. And that's sad. I mean, he was a slouch. I mean, he drunk. But God cleaned that man up and made a, saved his soul. But in his situation, 
God delivered him so fast. I don't know why I'm preaching this. And I, He got delivered so fast that he, he would deal with other people. If God did that, for, what's wrong with you that you don't get over that stinking drinking? You know, and, and he had no compassion. See, and that's sad. That's even, it's terrible because he should have been sensitive enough to know that, that how far that can take you and more than you want to go, but you're going there. But he'd never talk about it. What are you saying? I'm saying this, and I'm trying to say it fast. Is the fact that in our lives, if you've got a testimony that God has brought you out of, for God's sake, don't set on that thing. And, and if you're not going to tell them now, when in God's world will you? I mean, you may want to let some of the kids sit down when you tell them, yeah, I smoked a little bit of pot. I mean, we need to be able to be, but no, we put on this sanctimonious attitude. I was delivered from seven demons. What's wrong with you? They need to know how far you went and how far you dropped before God finally pulled you out. Because, son, you go down that road, you're going to turn out just like I was, and it was only God's grace that brought me back. Hallelujah. Well, the other Mary, verse number, what is it, 19, verse 20, it's the other Mary. Her husband was the one who was on, they say, on the road to Emmaus when Jesus presented himself. But here's a lady that had nothing to say. I mean, she just showed up. There was no real magnet, quote, quote. And that's what I'm talking about, our, the teenagers you deal with now. Now, you may get a few high wires in here, but most of them are raised up through the church. And they don't have a real sense, but they're there. They come to church. But the problem is sometimes we lose them when they turn 18 and 20. Why? Because there is nothing that brings them back to the cross. He can't fix that for them. There's got to be a sense of God somehow or another. Let your Holy Spirit still move in them in such a way that they'll want to show up and they'll still want to bear their cross. Because there are those of us, and there, I look across, there are some that, you know, you're the first generation saint that God saved. There are some that are on the second and third. Well, my daddy and my daddy's daddy and daddy's daddy's daddy was in the church, you know. And so after a while, it loses. It doesn't have the same passion. It doesn't have the same sense. Well, I'm going to church because that's what you do. It shouldn't be that is what I want to be there because I long to be in the presence of Jesus. Hello. I mean, it should be that sense. And, you know, really the, where, where it's got to start, ouch, here it comes, is, and I've noticed this with kids, if mom and dad's excited about it, then all of a sudden, Junior and the little girl, and they're going to be excited about it too because they're watching. I mean, that's a good thing there's no pulpit furniture up. I'd sit up there and watch everybody. If you've ever been up there, it's an amazing thing is when the Holy Ghost really gets a hold of somebody and this guy, you know, really the Spirit of God, and this is what I'm talking about, to shake, shake whatever can shake and move whatever can move, and, and all of a sudden that kid's standing there looking up and his dad for the first time is crying. And you see the shock on that kid's face. You know, should he call 911? What, you know, what is he supposed to do? Because he's never seen that dad really get into something that was that moving. Dad shows more emotion when the football game is on. 
When it's deer season and it's opening day, the man can't sleep. He's oiling guns. He's just putting everything in place. Man, he is ready. It's like a fireman. Just ring the bell. I'm out the door. And that kid sees that excitement. You go on into the church, Harry, and I'll be in a little while. Okay. Why aren't our kids happy to be in church? Take a look at your face and you will see. You'll get more excited going to yard sales. Man, throw that door open, slam that bird, get out there, gonna find somebody's junk is gonna be my treasure. And somebody walks in the church and, well, son, what'd you get out of the service? As much as you did. I'd love for him to tell you that. If I was a brave soul, but I'm not, I'd like to challenge young people when their parents come to church as they're walking out of church or come Monday. Hey, Dad, what did the preacher preach on Sunday? We sung a song, and I'm going to get the ushers to step up here too and serve. You just sit still. We've sung this this morning. How many of you really paid attention to it? I'm not being fictitious. You're not really going to need to hold the songbook. But I'm going to say this this morning very intentionally. I'm going to say it in the second service. We don't use songbooks because, well, the music is just, it isn't like Mercy Me. He has made me flawless. You know, I'm sorry, but it's not. But the challenge that I want to lay before even you or the youth is don't look at the music. Even in the back of this book, if you don't know that, there is a topical index. Adoration, assurance, atonement, children's hymns, all kind of hymns. I'm not saying we sing hymns. All I'm saying is this. When you come into church and you're sitting waiting for the service, pick up the hymn book and just read the line. Those words are like poems that have been written. And I'm going to prove this to you. When I was in Hopewell Church the first time, I had a lot of dreams and visions. We bought four and a half acres of land, was going to build a church. The devil got in that church. And all of my dreams and my ambitions... They met with me. They handed me a letter and said, here's the letter. We ask for your resignation. They gave me severance pay, but they said, if you say anything about us in front of that congregation that is demeaning to our character, you're not getting your severance pay. Now, I can be a little feisty. I know that surprises you. (laughs) The ushers are standing there, and we had the ushers come in to take the offering that Sunday morning. By the time they counted the money, and it was usually a good offering, by the time they counted the money and walked back up the steps, the congregation was passing them going down the other side. I said, I preached my last, and that's fine. I'm not going to stand up here and beat the wind. I'm, I, this is it. You don't want to hear. Oh, that's good. What are you talking about, Pastor? I picked this book up one day, and this is where it calls us to the cross. Though my way, verse number two, if though my ways seem straight and narrow, whenever I hear this song sung, I immediately gravitate to this. All I claimed was swept away. Have you ever worked for something so hard, so long, with anguish, and have that thing go up in smoke? He says there within that verse, my ambitions, my plans, and my wishes at my feet in ashes lay.
That hurts, brother. You feel gut kicked. You feel helpless. You feel there's God, am I ever going to see the light of day? Will I ever get beyond this? The psalmist, he's a psalmist, a songwriter. And immediately in verse 2, he leads into this course. I will praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Can you do it? Can you do it? That's what he's calling us to, to take up our cross. Gentlemen, come forward, and we're going to pass out this communion this morning. We're going to sing this song, all the verses of it. Man, I feel Jesus in this place. Now they get the juice. I saw the cleansing fountain open wide for all my sin. I obeyed the Spirit's wooing when He said, Wilt thou be clean? I will praise Him. I will praise him, praise the Lamb for sinners slain, give him glory all ye people, for his blood can wash away each stain, though the way seems straight and narrow. swept away my ambitions plain and wishes at my feet in ashes lay I will praise him I will praise him praise the lamb for sinners slain all ye people for his blood can wash away each stain then God's fire upon the altar of my heart was set aflame I shall never cease to praise him Glory, glory to his name. And I will praise him. I will praise him. Praise the Lamb for sinners Give him glory, all ye people. For his blood can wash away each stain. And blessed be the name of Jesus. I'm so glad he took me in. He's forgiven my transgressions. 
He has cleansed my heart from sin. I will praise Him. I will praise Him. Praise the Lamb for sinners slain. Give Him glory, all ye his blood has washed away each stain. Well, this morning, Paul writes to the church, For I have received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Will you join me, please? And the church said, Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.